you know, I, I try to be as real as I can. If I make a mistake, I own it. And, you know, the guys will make fun of me and we'll, we'll, we'll joke back and forth. And we just have that relationship where I take my job seriously, but I'll take myself seriously. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. On today's show, I get the pleasure of interviewing Matt Midkiff, head coach at Swarthmore College. Midkiff was formerly an assistant at Swarthmore and returned to college and returned to the college after serving as the head baseball coach at Eastern University from 2009 to 2012. In 2018, Midkiff led Swarthmore to the best season in school history. They won a record 38 games, including 15 in the Centennial Conference, securing the number one seed in the conference playoffs. They also won the school's first conference title, went on to win the NCAA Regional in Auburn, New York by sweeping all four games and advancing to compete in the Division III World Series in Appleton, Wisconsin. Midkiff was named Centennial Conference Coach of the Year D3 Baseball Mid-Atlantic Region Coach of the Year, and ABCA Mid-Atlantic Region Coach of the Year. On the show, Coach Midkiff shares how he entered into head coaching with a list of things that he would accomplish in the first 100 days, but we also go into how he juggles drills with the 16 fall days that he has with his players, the rules and standards that his team has to live up to, and how he goes about building strong bonds with all of his players. You're going to love this episode, and here is Matt. Midkiff. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Great to be with you. Absolutely. And uh, I'm so thankful to have you on today. And I'm really excited to get to know you better and get to know your program a little bit better and, and how you got to where you are today. But if you don't mind, just give us a short intro of, of your baseball career, baseball background, and why you decided to get into coaching. Well, I uh, grew up just outside of Tampa, Florida, and played high school baseball down there. Was uh, Got a scholarship to the University of South Florida, was there for two years, transferred to Moorhead State University in Kentucky, where I was there for a year and, and actually uh, sustained an injury and ended up uh, getting a medical red shirt. And then I found my way to a Division three school in Northeast Pennsylvania, Wilkes University, where I played my final two years and was able to get a grad uh, assistantship, which kind of got me on my road to coaching. Then I took a job in Borger, Texas, uh, Frank Phillips Junior College out there. I uh, was there for a year, went to uh, Swarthmore as an assistant coach here in uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And then I was at Eastern University for four years as the head coach and now have completed eight years back at Swarthmore as the head coach at Swarthmore College. Well, perfect. Well, I would like to get more into the nuts and bolts, and I, I think that's what this show is based around because I, I want to get to know you, and I, I want to get to know your program, but I also want to get to see it and feel it on what you guys are doing on a daily basis to make your players better because 
in the end, we, we want to make everything as efficient and we want to develop them in a way that just is the best in our region, the best in the country. So what did the vision look like for you when you decided to get started or when you accepted the job? And what were some of your first steps? And take in fact that when this episode airs, there's going to be a lot of first-year coaches who are going to be in their first month or two in their first year. So how did you kind of lay out the steps to get to where you are now? But what were some of the first things that you did? Well, one thing I did going through uh, the interview process, which really helped me was, and I put it in, in my packet for the committee, was I listed a first 100 days. And, and what I would do in the first 100 days, you know, and we've obviously we've seen presidents do things like that, but it really helped me stay focused and, and stay, you know, day to day and trying like to that. chip away at some of the little things. Yeah, it was, it was really, and, and I, I wish I remember who suggested that to me, but it was, it was awesome. And it really helped, you know, help me stay grounded because the great thing is that someone says, Hey, here's a program, go run it. It's yours. And the, the bad thing is that someone says, Hey, here's a program, go run it. It's yours. Yeah, no um, you get really, really scared right away. And, and uh, it's everything you ever wanted. And, but you don't, you don't know what you're getting into. So I think that's something that, that really helped me. And, um, and in the vision for our program, I, I, I saw a school that was consistently in the top three rated academic schools, you know, in the country, especially for liberal arts. So for me, that was very exciting. And I thought that, you know, there's no reason why this amazing school can't attract amazing athletes and, and amazing baseball players. And so the goal was always to, match the academic experience and the baseball experience and, you know, and give these young men who have, you know, among the best minds in the world in the classroom, give them some similar type experience on the baseball field so that they can, you know, achieve and they can grow as baseball players, just like they would as a student athlete. Well, there's a couple of things that I'd like to unpack with that. And the first one, do you remember what were some specific things that were on your 100 years thing? I know that that our listeners that are really getting into it now are going, Gellner, you got to ask him, you know, what was on that list? Because there's maybe some things that I can add to it. And then I'd like to go back into the academic piece, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think uh, from, I have it somewhere, I wish I, uh, I wish I pulled it out, but it was small things and big things. So what I tried to do was have specific things that I could knock out in a day. And then I had some, some longer term projects, things like assessing equipment needs and uniforms and all those mundane tasks that are very important to the program that take a lot of time. Uh, I got the job in August and we have an early decision deadline in November. So from a recruiting perspective, you know, I had a, a lot of recruiting things on there specifically who to contact, what avenues I would go go to to try to find the players that were still available, things of that nature. And then, you know, things about, you know, integrating into campus and meeting people, finding out who my players were, contacting all the players, things like that. And that is a list that I can I can find and I can try to get to you so that uh, some more of those specific things uh, can be put out there because I'd be happy to share that with anybody. Yeah, of course. I think that would be you know nothing but helpful, and we're all thieves in one way or another in the baseball community. And I, I'm looking at that and thinking I haven't heard that a whole lot before, and so I think that would definitely be helpful. So if the listeners, uh, if you send that to me, I'll, I'll make sure and send it out, or they can uh, send you an email at, when I give it at the end of the of the segment. But with the academic, I mean, is that a? I don't want to say that's a recruiting hurdle because that may be something that 
that is very it draws people to your school but also at the same time it's probably something that it, there's some kids that you may not be able to recruit because they're not high enough academically so tell us a little bit about that uh, and not necessarily that it's a struggle but something that you have to navigate sure and uh, it is a it is a question that people ask a lot like how how can you find guys that you know are a fourteen fifty or a thirty three and four O's and all that. The first answer is they they are out there. And the great thing about a school like Swarthmore is those young men who have have those academic qualifications are national and international even. So we can look everywhere to find them. And I, I like it in the sense that it does narrow my search. So, you know, Coach Coach K gets the top one hundred players in the country and he recruits off of that list. My situation is is similar in the, in the the fact that you know we're probably are looking at the top five percent of students in the country, maybe ten percent. Mm-hmm. So it does narrow it. There are definitely some disappointments when you see somebody with a a twelve ten and uh, you know a three nine, and you say, "Wow, that's a really good student," and it is better than I ever was. But still, you know, not someone that that could uh, could get into Swarthmore. So I do think that it can be uh, challenging at times, but I really like. I like the type of student uh, athletes that we deal with, and I like the uh, you know the challenge of of kind of going out there and finding these guys and and having the opportunity to recruit them. I love that. And so let's go ahead and get in. So you get them on campus, and you know what does this this upcoming fall look like for you? And kind of give us a, a rundown of what your time restrictions look like, and then how you are making the most of them. Well, in, Div- in Division Three, we have 16 days of practice that we can uh, have in the fall. Some academic conferences actually have fewer or no fall season at all. So we're fortunate in the Centennial Conference that we do have that opportunity to have 16 days with our players. And what we usually do is have a, a four-week fall segment, and we'll do four days a week. We do a lot of a lot of teaching and, and really getting into seeing the new guys, integrating the new guys into the program, and you know just talking with talking with guys and seeing where they are. Um, evaluating them, and then we also like to see them compete. So we definitely have a, a competitive component. And we like to split basically our days into, you know, teaching, practice, piece, and then a competitive game game piece, so that we can see guys. You know, we're we're having guys that committed to us in October of the previous year, seeing them again for the first time. So it's you know just trying to to refresh our memory on who these guys are and and seeing how far they've come uh, since the last time we saw them. Uh, we also have a huge strength and conditioning component to the fall. That's where I feel like our team makes the biggest jump because our, our strength and conditioning coach, Chris McPherson, is I think one of the best out there. We uh, made some huge jumps under his guidance. And you know, I think at, especially at our level where it's really hard to force someone to lift weights or mm-hmm. to, to condition – Having that component be be central to your program really helps. Uh, I think you know make a program move. It'll make the program move to the next level. And I feel like that's really what happened to us is our players bought into what Chris was was providing and and have have just hit the ground running and, and love to be in the weight room. Oh, definitely. I I think that's something that that is huge for for every program. And so you get your 16 days, and you know that's not a lot of time. And I we get them an hour a day all fall all encompassing whatever we want to do in that hour that involves a baseball. And, and it's, we're trying to figure out how to get them better within that. So what are, besides, you know, the the lifting aspect of it, what were the things that 
you said this year that you're like, we have to make sure we do this, this, or this, or just whatever that looked like for you and, and how you're making that work. And I know there are some, some guys that would, that would say, well, we want to make sure we get all of our team defense stuff installed before January when, when we can practice whenever, or we're going to use this time for, to develop them individually or a mix of both. So what's the route that you go and tell us a little bit about it. So with our guys, we have you know a lot of academic stresses and, and pressures on our guys. So we have to be extremely efficient. And I love a good drill just as much as anybody else. But what I came to realize is that the more we can just play baseball, the more we can you know have live pieces in our practice and read balls off the bat and and see live pitching and things mm-hmm. of that nature, the better we're going to be and the more targeted type practice time we're going to have. And so we don't have guys fielding with small gloves or doing a lot of drill work. And we used to, but now I feel like the best use of our time is to play baseball. Mm -hmm. And and again, it it, it sounds really simple, but you know, to me, it's just, you know, watching these guys play and just giving them an opportunity. We do uh, a lot of two pitch so that guys are reading balls off the bat mm-hmm. and you know we're getting getting live uh live reads and everything and we just make sure there's something live you know baseball game type situation in every practice that we have so that's kind of where we like to be and what we like to do especially when we're on the field and you know in the in the spring early spring sometimes we're we're in the field house and we're not able to be on an actual baseball field for a little while so when we get a chance to be on a baseball field, we want to want to play as much as possible. I love that, and to, I know that in the social media world, everybody loves what the newest, greatest thing is, and and I think that there's some merit to that, but I also think that simple wins and finding the best formula for your team and and the time restrictions that you've got, and and there, you know, it it also depends on what level and where you're at as far as are you a coach or you're a trainer, how much time do you have, and and it all. We want to make it simple and we want to let them go and not have to think about it too much and go compete and go win. But we also want to put them in the best position to win. And, and sometimes, I think a lot of times, simple can definitely do that. Especially when you got them for 16 days, you, you probably have a decent idea of who your guys are after that time. After you know you see them in their recruiting season and then they, you get them on campus, you can fairly evaluate them fairly well. And, and so after your 16 days, do you guys have meetings or anything of, hey, and when is when is your 16 days? When do you take that? So we start ours uh, second week of classes. We we actually have a fall break uh, that comes about six weeks into the semester. So we like to get it finished before the fall break, let them take fall break to kind of rest their bodies a little bit, and then we ramp up our, our strength conditioning piece after we get back from fall break. So we hit it second week of classes, let the guys have a chance to meet each other right away and, and mm-hmm. be integrated as a team um, as fast as they can. And um, and then we definitely talk with them and, and stay with them, just kind of checking in on everybody throughout the rest of the fall. One thing I'm blessed with uh, having, you know, the guys on my team, uh, the work ethic is, is unbelievable. And, mm-hmm. and I'll probably mention that a few times as we, as we go, but you're talking about high achieving students that, you know, like I said, are oftentimes the top, 10, 5, you know, 1%. We've got a valedictorian on our team. Okay. Um, and we've got, you know, some perfect, perfect ACT, SAT scores on our team. And so, you know, these guys are used to putting in the work and achieving. And so once we were able to kind of find the guys that had that same mentality when it came to baseball, 
you know, the group just really took off. And, and so, you know, there's really not a lot that I have to do in, in, in terms of motivation. These guys are, are very self-motivated. That's we great. just kind of have to guide them in the right direction. And but if they're going to do it, they're going to do it hundred percent. And so that's where the high academic, you know, student is really fun to coach. Definitely. You're probably one of the few guests that I've had and one of the few people I've talked to that could probably have 17 bunt defenses and first and third plays and then remember them all. <laughs> yeah. You know what, what's funny is, you know, I told them, these are our plays. This mm-hmm. is what you have to know. Know it by the first day of practice. And we walk <laughs> out there and, and they don't, awesome. they don't, they don't miss one. That's so great. it's, it's really, it's really cool. And, um, you know, and, and just the maturity level that they have and, it just allows you know coaches we can just they're just people they're just you know guys that we we need to talk to I can get a point across I don't have to yell I don't have to scream I don't have to to go crazy I just I just have a conversation and and because relationships are something that that we pride ourselves on you know we could sit down and have a have a conversation and you know it, everything seems to be understood and and we move forward from there Oh, you've got to love that, and you've got to love that that aspect and that maturity. And they're essentially they're going to be great professionals in whatever field that they choose. So I'm I'm sure that that's a pleasure to get to work with that every day. And so let's rewind a little bit. You talked about the vision of your program, and it's it's one thing to have a vision, and then it's another thing to uh, completely to implement it. So what are you going? How are you on a daily basis or weekly basis, monthly basis? You know, how are you? making sure that, that in the environment is what you want it to be and the culture building aspect is what you want it to be as well? Well, I think it does go back to relationships. And myself and, and, and our assistant coaches, we really we develop a, a strong bond with our players and, and their families too, which is something that you know, is, is sort of a recent development in the last you know, two or three years that you know, I think a lot of coaches, you know, the parent piece is, is very difficult to navigate and understand how that fits in. But, you know, what I've, what I've tried to do is, is help those, help the parents understand that whether, you know, playing time is, is a whole separate animal. And what we want is for our players to grow as young men. We want them to enjoy their experience and that could be on the field. It might not be, but we've had a lot of buy-in from our guys, you know, just finding their, their niche and in, in their role in the program. And I think that that has, you know, the, the parents have been able to see that, you know, my son is, is thriving. He's enjoying it. And sure, everybody wants to play shortstop and bat third, but this is a really good experience and he's able to grow and mature and work as a, as a member of a team and, and achieve. So, you know, we've really tried to, you know, to bring a family aspect into what we do and let everybody understand kind of where we are. You know, I, I try to be as real as I can. If I make a mistake, I own it. And, you know, the guys will make fun of me and we'll, we'll, we'll joke back and forth. And we just have that relationship where I take my job seriously, but I'll take myself seriously. So we really enjoy our time together. And I don't want that to be lost in the fact that, you know, we're trying to win baseball games and all that. But, mm-hmm. but I really think that if we put the relationship piece and we enjoy our time together, that good things are going to happen. See, the whole time that, that you're talking about these kids, the whole time I'm thinking of them calling me out for some mathematical problem that I would probably get wrong on the fly. <laughs> but no, that's, or, or they'd be like, Coach Gilman, you said this last week. And I'm like, uh, yeah, probably did. But, they, they don't forget. They're, they're very much like wives. They don't forget anything. Oh, yeah. There so, you go. That's, yeah. that's perfect. So, yeah. They're, uh, you know, I, I will say, you know, that I just I have so much respect for them and what they do mm-hmm. that it makes it easy 
to interact with them because, you know, I just, it, 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 they amaze me the things they're able to accomplish and put the time in that that's needed to be a college baseball player. No doubt. No doubt. And I think that's a huge part of the personal development piece. And you said it all comes back down to relationships. And I think that's a huge aspect. And I think that spending time with them is a huge aspect. I think communicating with them on an equal basis is a huge aspect. And and I try and ask them questions for, away from baseball as much as possible, just because, you know, the coaches that we loved and got to know us more on a personal level than any other level, and they knew our maybe our parents or at least what they did and, and you know, what our goals were, what our why was, why we decided to play the game of baseball. And is there anything that specifically you do just to make sure that, because for me, we've got, you know, 50 guys in our program, 50-plus guys, and, and I want to get to know them all really well in the four years that we have them. But I usually try and keep like a sheet of who I talk to or have have a roster of, okay, I talked to this guy and I asked him a couple questions today. I want to try and get to this one tomorrow just to make sure I, I don't want to miss somebody because we all, I think we all get stuck in our position groups or for me with the hitting side, I, you know, if I never talk to the POs. And so I just want to make sure that I, that I hit them and, and get or get to them at, at some point in time and ask them some questions about themselves personally. But is there any better ways than that that you've done? Or is there anything that's specific to you that, that you try and make sure and, and you talk to with each player? You know, it, it's, it's along the same lines of, of what you're doing. And, and I try to make it, you know, during, during stretch or, or something along those lines, you know, try to make sure I have as many contacts with, with those guys as possible. Mm-hmm. I try to have a specific connection with each guy. Maybe it's a joke or maybe it's something that we tease each other about or, or something, you know, from their major that's really interesting that I don't understand, but I ask them about it anyway, you know, things like that, that I know mean something to them mm-hmm. that, you know, about, same thing that you're saying, parents, brothers and sisters, and, and just, you know, things that really interest them as people, because I'm sure, you know, you have things that are not baseball related that you love and, and are passionate about, and, and I do too, and, and these guys do as well. And I want them to understand that as much as we love baseball, it's not the end-all, be-all, and there are a lot of lessons we're going to learn from it. But if we don't win a national championship every year, that doesn't mean it's a failure. That just you know means we didn't get it done on the field necessarily. But, but there's so much that we can learn from being together and, and hopefully some wisdom that I can impart on them even though they're they're way smarter than I am, I'm older. So, you know, I've I've made those mistakes, okay. and I can and, and try to guide them. You know, when it comes to to those certain things. But, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, I think that's that's it. Just as long as you're intentional about having a specific interaction with those guys on a on a daily or you know as often as you can basis, you know, I think you're doing it right. I love that, and and I love that getting to hear because everybody's a little bit different and how they approach that personality wise and, and the guys that they have. And, and I, I, obviously it is coming across very, very heavily that you love your players. And, and that's some, that's a word that I probably wouldn't use my first couple of years of coaching, but I, I think it's stronger than the connotation that it sometimes gets. But another thing that I really like to do just for the players, because the fall, especially, and even during the season at times, things can get a little bit they just get tired of the same routines over and over. And so we like to integrate different competitions just to heighten awareness and to get them back engaged on, on what we're trying to, to accomplish. So especially with guys that are as competitive in the classroom as your guys are, what are some different competitions that you do? And, and just kind of walk us through that. Uh, well, we have a few, a lot of stuff actually happens with our strength coach. They do you know a lot of, you know, sprint type relay stuff and, and competition when it comes to that sort of thing. 
we like to have, I think I mentioned before, but we, we like to have a live segment in every practice that we do. So we will have at least one hitter or one pitcher throwing in every, in every practice. And what we'll do a lot of times we'll have a challenge at bat. And so we'll take our, our best pitcher and put him against our, our best hitter and two outs, man on second, let's go. And the guys really get excited to see, you know, basically the dudes go against each other. And so that's been a lot of fun when we, we challenge each other that way. You know, we do a, a 27 outs segment where we have to do 27 in a row to finish the day. Uh, another good one that, that we stole from somewhere is um, you do a specific number of balls for in and out. So let's say you do a three ball in and out, and every time you make a mistake, you take a ball away. And if you don't complete it with the ball remaining, you have to start over again. So that's a good one for focus and just having the guys, you know, really lock in and, and encourage each other to, you know, to, to hit the cut and do, to do the right things uh, from a physical standpoint. So that's, that's a lot of the, the competition stuff we do. But uh, like I said, the main thing that we like to do is have our guys play in as many game situations as we can against each other. No doubt. I, I think that that's really good. And for some reason, I don't know why kids love 27 outs or 21 outs in high school, but they, <laughs> they absolutely like it's, it's something that I think a lot of people do, but it's something that the kids are like, yeah, like this, this is, you know, so oh, yeah. whatever, whatever guys, whatever floats your boat, but that's, <laughs> that's really good. And, and something that, that another thing that, that I really like, and, and something that you may not have to deal with a ton, but it, it may be a different deal with, but what are some of the different standards that you guys have and, and some different rules? And I know that a lot of our guests have talked about academic and what, what, how much it means. And you may not have that problem, but what are some of the different things that basically your line, your line in the sand of, all right, guys, I, I love you. We're, we want to be very close, but this is, these are the couple lines that I'm going to draw that just to make sure that they understand how to be a young man, how to be a young man in your program and how to set them up for success in life. But what are those for you? It's very, very simple. It's, it's just always do the right thing. And, you know, I trust that, you know, because I know their parents, I trust that they've been raised the right way and that they know what that means. And, and you're right. Fortunately, we have very few issues, you know, when it comes to our players and because these guys are, you know, they see the bigger picture. They understand that a degree from Swarthmore changes their life and, and sets them up for success. And so they, you know, they're their own parent a lot of times and they stay on whether it's academic or social they're doing the right things. And so we just, we just talk about a lot of times it's, it's more of, you know, let's just talk about the work ethic that we need and the type of, you know, the, the time we need to put into to doing what we need to do, time management, things of that nature. But, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm really fortunate with these guys and, and they stay on, on each other. They support each other, they guide each other. And so for me, it's just, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing the right things when it comes to, being on time and coming to the field ready to go and being focused on, on baseball issues we've had in the past, which is it's kind of funny, but it would be that guys were still focused on their academics and weren't able to put that behind them. So we talk about, you know, being present, being where we are, that I want them to be the best student they can be and focused hundred percent on academics in the classroom. And then when they get to the baseball field, you know, that role reverses and they're hundred percent locked into what we're trying to do. Perfect. I, I like that. And, and again, it's different for every program. So I, I love getting to hear that aspect of it from you. And another thing that, that I love, and that's development within your coaching staff. And 
you know, tell us a little bit about your coaching staff. And, and I also want to know, so whenever you're an assistant like myself and, and like you were, you someday dream of being of moving up a level or being a head coach someday and just essentially maybe even just really getting really, really good at your position group. So how are you helping your assistants grow? How are you understanding their needs and wants, especially just as far as being the head coach of a program and understanding your coaching staff, but how are you helping them grow? And, and is it something that you're very intentional about on just a, we're going to go to clinics together basis, or we're going to do these things together, or it could be something as simple as, Hey, this is a head coach moment for you. And this is something that I've dealt with. And this is something that you may have to deal with in the future or just anything like that. Cause I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, one thing, um, even when I got my first head job, I was 26 years old. You know, I, I always felt like as an assistant coach, you just want ownership. You want to be able to have your piece and do it as well as you can and be creative and try things. And so my first year at Eastern, we weren't very good at all. And it was a learning situation for all of us. But um, on my staff, I had Mike Santello, who um, is the recruiting coordinator at the University of Pennsylvania now, and Dave Lorber, who was uh, the recruiting coordinator at George Washington for a long time and just took the job at Stockton University. Mm -hmm. So those guys were on my staff, and that was their first job. And so what I was able to do with those guys, and I think it's tough as a head coach sometimes because we want to have so much control over everything, is I told those guys, here's your job, go do it. And with the understanding that they were going to make mistakes, I was going to make mistakes, and that was kind of part of the deal. And those guys did an awesome job. They made some mistakes, but now they're amazing coaches and, and doing you know, amazing things at such a high level. And so after looking back at that, I thought, well, if I can let these guys do it and make mistakes and, and grow, then the next group I bring in, I can let them do the same thing. And so I've been really fortunate to have – um, these young guys that come in and want to work. And so what I try to do is, is give them responsibilities and, and let them do it. And I always say, I'd rather you, I'd rather you make a mistake for me than when you're coaching at Stanford, you know, so that you, know, you have an opportunity to grow and, and learn. And, you know, we, we talk about failure with, with our players and you know, you're going to fail, but it's only failure if you fail to learn from it. You know, I want the same thing for, for our assistant coaches. And, and so our, our coaches do, a really good job. I have no full-time assistant coaches, but they put in full-time work. And um, like a lot, I know a lot of assistants out there. And so I just try to oversee them, point out things, give them ideas to think about, and then let them have ownership of their area. You know, we, I turned over the offense two years ago and um, this past year we led the country in hitting. And uh, after I stepped back, so coach Brian Booth will never let me, uh, hear the end of that but <laughs> no but th but that's okay you know I, I think he he does a great job and our our kids respond to him and so you know the best thing for me is that he owns it and he does a great job and now we've got some consistency there and now I can focus my attention otherwhere uh, other places so yeah you know I, I I try to guide them and and just be really understanding of the position that they're in because that's kind of what I wanted when I was an assistant that you know because you know I wanted to conquer the conquer the world just like most young assistant coaches. Uh, and so I think that energy should be encouraged and, you know, just try to, you know, throw some things out there, guide them, but let them use that enthusiasm to, to affect the program in a positive way. Well, now you've perked my interest. So you, you step back from the hitting 
uh, side, the offensive side, and you guys lead the country. Besides getting him on the podcast, what were some things that you guys did offensively that you thought re- were really helpful so that I can steal them from you, essentially? <laughs> well, you know, we have most of our most of our stuff, and we kind of co- goes back to the same thing, is everything is very simple. So we do minor tweaks, but a lot of our stuff is just approach-based. And so we talk, obviously, with high-level high, high level guys. They can really think through at-bats and, um, and, and think a plan at the plate. And so we use that to our advantage. And so we, we have an approach for less than two strikes. We have a, a two-strike approach as well and, you know, in, in a situational approach. So we've got these three, three situations that we go through pretty regularly and get the guys – mind out thinking, you know, the other side. And so we use that to our advantage. You know, we, we hit a lot. We challenge our guys, challenge BP, something we do a lot where we're mixing pitches and it's not just feel good BP, which can be frustrating, but it's something that definitely works and it definitely gives these guys mm-hmm. um, a chance to be challenged. And, and that's what we talk to them about is you didn't come to Swarthmore not to be challenged. So you'll be challenged in the classroom. We're going to challenge you down here and it's sink or swim. And eventually they'll, they'll all swim. Definitely. Definitely. I, I love that. And, and that's some of the stuff that we are doing. And I, you know, I think that doing that consistently only has benefits because we're, we're trying to prepare them for the game essentially. And, and I'm sure that your kids know that. And I'm sure that you have to deal with some frustration because they are probably really good at what they do a lot of the times. And so that may be a whole nother conversation, but Whenever we're going into the spring, what are some things that you do, not necessarily do different, but what are some things that you feel like you do efficiently in practice? And you can go through a skeleton practice if you want to, but essentially I just want to know what are some different maybe drill sets or team series or just the practice plan itself? What, is, what does that look like? And, and how are some, what are some things that you do that's maybe a little different or maybe some things that you do different now that you did before that are a little more efficient ways of doing it. Does that make sense? I know that's a lot in one question, yeah. <laughs> but I just want to get a look into your spring and see what you do for practice and see if I can tweak some things for us. Yeah, so one thing um, we started doing this past year is after our throwing program, we get all the positional groups. So the outfielders go to the deep part of the outfield, infielders are in the middle with, with the first baseman and catchers are on the line. And we actually do a relay series after we throw. So everybody gets cutoffs and relays and that's like a whole, a whole production. And you try to do it once a week, maybe. And it's, it's a lot and guys are throwing maybe too much. And so what we've done is we've built it into our throwing program where we'll have, you know, each catcher gets a line. And so we're working on our verbals, we're working on our, on our relays and, and letting the outfielders, you know, field a ball, throw it to the relay man and, and get it to the plate. Catchers are working on tags. Um, and then, you know, we do you know five or six of those. So we do, re- we do cuts and relays every day. It's something that, you know, drives coaches nuts when a guy doesn't hit the cutoff man. Well, we don't give our guys any excuse because we put it into their throwing program. So that was one thing we implemented that I really liked. And we were pretty, uh, we were pretty good on, on our cutoffs this year. Another, another drill we do that I, you know, I said I don't like drills, but I love this one. With the team drill, and we call it the Terminator, and there, there are various aspects of it or various different ones we do, I guess. But it involves the whole team, and it's something that can be done with, with a single coach, which I think um, can be helpful to like a, you know, to a high school coach or, or a college coach. The assistants get there late. 
so we, we hit a ball to the outfielder who all the outfielders are in left field. They throw the ball to the plate catcher catches and tags, throws the ball to second base. We put a, a, an additional second base behind it. So the, the shortstop will catch and tag and he'll flip to the second baseman who will turn a double play to the first baseman. We have a, another first base bag behind the regular first base bag as well. He catches the ball. He rolls the ball to another first baseman who fields it, and we have a pitcher covering, and we flip it to the pitcher. He steps on the bag. So very confusing. Happy to sing that one too. But it involves the entire yeah, team. And our guys, yeah, our guys really love it. And they're, we've just kind of gone crazy. We went you know, Terminator 2, T3, and so we kind of keep going and where we just involve different throws. And, and some of these we can do indoors. And, um, and so we just get creative with that and, you know, a lot of like throwing and catching and, and just basic stuff as, as we talked about, you know, sometimes simple can win and, and throwing and catching is the, you know, the, the main part of the game, but, you know, it gets everybody involved. The guys get hyped and trying to do them as perfectly as they can, which is, you know, I, I think, uh, is, is part of the deal trying to get everybody fired up and having fun, you know, and then the main thing with our practices are we do a lot of repetitions. So we're doing a lot of ground ball work a lot of fly ball work. We want to get as many reps in as we can early in practice. And then we go to our, uh, our BP, which what we've done uh, with BP, I think that that is pretty cool that people might like is each round. We have a defensive uh, focus as well. Okay. So round one infield in round two is double plays round three. We're throwing across and you know round four is is diving plays or something like that so you know you give guys a focus outfielders they'll have their own focus as well so the live balls off the bat there's something they know they're doing on every ball that's hit and to me that makes it you know that makes it better uh, as the guys are are trying you know if, if we've if the hitters practicing infield in well let's have infield in and have them hit the ball through the infield and have our, our fielders be able to to make those plays and then you know usually we we finish our our practice with that live segment so we'll have arms come out and throw one thing that we've i think that has really helped us is the guys that may be more so on the the bottom of the bullpen list um, will throw live regularly throughout the year and so one story i think that would be you know great to share uh with other coaches we had a guy who was you know came in at 78 as a freshman he was throwing live to hitters, but wasn't really pitching much in games. Then he, he bumped those like 81. I'm like, okay, we can you know, maybe use him. It has his appendix, you know, appendix burst, whatever. He has to get surgery. Next year comes back and he's 87 and uh, drive line, that sort of thing, but worked really hard. And he said that that having those game situations in the fall or in the, in the spring where he wasn't just throwing bullpens, he was throwing live to hitters really helped him mentally. And so when he got the physical piece to match up with that, he was ready to go. You know, in our, in our World Series year, he set the record for saves and pitching the Northwoods League this year. So he's up to 91 uh, last I checked. So the development piece doesn't stop, and your hitters can get good reps off of arms as well. So what, that's what we try to do is, is keep guys in game shape because you never know when you're going to need them. And also we want them to continue to develop and not just throw a side bullpen you know, once a week and, and call it a day. I'm right there with you, and I love. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. Absolutely. So, especially with, I've got some lightning style questions for you that that we're going to end with, and and these are are especially good, but they're kind of quick hitters, I guess, since we're on the offensive side, we can say quick hitters, which would be uh, <laughs> fairly apropos. So, 
whenever we, this is airing again, it's going to be in around October-ish. And there's going to be a ton of coaches that are going to be in their first year or their first year head coaches, or we can even talk about assistants wanting to be head coaches someday. But if you could go back and you could tell yourself one thing, or or if you could give those coaches one piece of advice, what would that be? I would say don't get your self-worth from your team's performance. It's really hard to, you know, my first year we were three and 29 and I'm not sure how I won three, but it's really hard to, to not devalue yourself for the job you're doing based on your team's record. But I would just say, you know, trust what you know and, um, you know, be, be willing to adjust. And, you know, maybe maybe your team at that time is not ready for everything you're going to throw in there. Take your time. Let them grow with you. Get the right kids in there that, that want what you're selling. And then things will, you know, things will take off for you. Man, that's, that, that's something that's easily said and something a lot of people say, but it's not easy to do at all. I tell you, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard when you're, you know, you're, everybody can, you know, look up, you know, how good you are at your job and, uh, you know, it doesn't make it, doesn't make it easy, but, uh, yeah, it, it, you just have to trust that what you're doing is, is right. And mm-hmm. if you make it a relationship first business and not about, not about the winning, but about, about the kids and about them having fun and, and learning and growing, then you'll, you'll get the same benefit that they will. Definitely. I'm right there with you. And, you know, when it's 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 a little harder to say that after a tough loss, but it's something that that I wish I had known earlier in my career. And and again, I'm not a head coach, and and you know maybe someday, but it's one of those. It's it's we if we judge our whole self worth by the scoreboard, it's and I actually I had uh, Chan Brown on earlier this year, and and they're the you know the high school national champions in Parkview, Georgia, and and he said the same thing, and it was just something that hit me, and somebody that's that successful that does that and, and rarely loses that has that. And, and you're saying the same thing and, and Tim Corbin saying the same thing. I mean, success leaves clues. And I know I mentioned quick hitters, but that's something that I'm extremely passionate about and something that I have to work on consistently because we're all competitive people and we put so much time and effort for so little money that it's, we want to be successful. But if we're, if we're measuring our success just based on the scoreboard that it's like you mentioned, it's, it's something that it's, it always, we're, we're going to have years that aren't going to be as good as others. And, and it just, it's something that we can't do if we want to be consistently there for our players. But another thing that I love to hear what coaches are learning. And so what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? It's kind of this idea of, of kind of a failure, failure work. And so what that, what that means is, you know, take a skill that's a little bit above the level of the player and make them attempt it until they get it. So whether that's, velocity situation where they get blown away by 90 we're going to work our way up to that where where we can you know we can we can hit that whether it's you know defensive play that's that always seems to be something that's a little a little over their head could be location percentage for a pitcher whatever it happens to be that that player struggling with uh we try you know raise the bar on them and and make them get there you know i had this this idea of kind of we're going to try to implement it, but, mm-hmm. you know, a, kind of a video game style, you know, you unlock the next level. So if we're, we're bunting off a of 75 and you can bunt it through the cones three times, you unlock the next level, you can try it at 80 and, you know, kind of let the kids compete to get to that next level and then keep going. And, and everybody kind of, you know, can see who's advancing and who's working. So if I'm not able to do that, that bunt drill, then I need to get there and, and I need to work on it and I need to 
you know, because I, I don't want to be the last guy at level one when everybody else is at level seven. So just kind of creating, you know, in, internal competition, you know, even competition with, within yourself, but allow them to, to fail and then keep going and keep going and feel the, the achievement of, of finally getting over the hump and finally getting to that next level. That's something that, you know, we're going to, we're going to implement more so this fall and I'm excited to get into it. Well, that's, yeah, and I'd love to brainstorm with you because that's something that it's really not easy to do. It's fairly daunt, a daunting task, and I'm sure it's a fluid document that changes from time to time. But really, that's why, again, this is not quick hitters anymore now that I'm taking up most of the time on this. But it's something that it really has a lot of merit. And, and you know, I, I got to speak at a couple of clinics last year, and this was one thing that I really wanted to do better at because whenever you increase the level of difficulty that's that challenges them, it makes them want it more. And they talk about it being a little a little bit out of your comfort zone. I think they say four percent, but at the same time, it's that's not easily attainable in a in a team setting. And it's something that that if there are any listeners out there who are wanting to do something similar, I would love to to hear their thoughts on it and, and we could make something like this. But definitely leveling up and you're not only meeting them where they're at, but you're challenge, challenging them in a way that is making them better, but not in a way that is just beating them over the head because it, there's definitely a balance between the two. And again, sorry for taking up so much time, but that's something that, that I love to hear and I, I'd love to to continue this discussion as we progress. But Another question that I love to ask, because it, this is a specific drill question, is what is something that you guys do in practice that your players love? And don't say 27 outs. Okay. <laughs> well, we got this thing. It's called 28 outs. It's one better than uh, 27 outs. No. <laughs> you know, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned the Terminator drill, and you know, that's, a, that's a really good one. We'll do the lightning drill sometimes, which is it's a BP drill, and any ball in the infield is a double play. Anything that goes to the outfield is relayed to third. And we have we do that with base runners, which I think is pretty good, and um, and the guys like it because they're always moving. We do some simple stuff like dirt ball read drills, and let the catchers work and block and throw, and and that lets our runners understand how difficult it is for a catcher to block a ball, pick it up, and throw them out. So we do. You know, one thing we did focus on uh, this past year was was running the bases better, and and I think we did a good job of that. So. Uh, we like to incorporate base running stuff as much as we can, whether it's a specific base running drill or whether we, you know, integrate it into a BP situation or something like that. Perfect. I love that. And and again, it, it's if we can construct a practice on all things that our players love, then then it's going to be pretty good, and they're going to be wanting to come back every day hungry. But another question, and this one is probably my toughest question, so prepare yourself. But my wife and I were going, so we. <laughs> We started this weird thing. It's called table topic discussions, and it's like a different question that really makes you think every other day. And and there was one the other day that that I found that really made us think, but I also wanted it to apply to baseball coaches because we have things in our minds that really do work for our programs that may other coaches may disagree with us about depending on theirs and analytics maybe even disagree at times. But what is something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about? I think that that having fun is the most important part of a team's success. Tell us more. So last 2018, when our our team we went on a nice run and ended up you know in the in the World Series, which was completely unexpected because we were 16 and 22 the year before. We're we're playing against Southern Maine in the regional final, and this is a, this is a story I tell recruits because 
So you're either going to love to come here or you're not going to want to come here at all. And, and we kind of like it that way. Mm-hmm. So we had, we have a reliever named Zach Gonzalez and he's a, a lefty submarine guy. And when Zach enters the game, if bases loaded two outs, they have a lefty hitter up and we're up, we're up six to three. Uh, it's the seventh inning. And so we're trying to get our closer in to throw the last two. So we're trying to get through this inning so the closer can come in and, uh, and finish the game. And so Zach comes up. It's 11.59. He enters the game. He gets the out, ground ball to first, clock strikes 12. As he's running off the field, our guys start singing happy birthday to him. And I was like, huh. You know, like I, I grew up in baseball central, you know, Hillsborough County, Florida, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking major leaguers, high level baseball. And my team is six outs away from a world series. And they're saying happy birthday to our guy running off the field. Mm-hmm. But as I looked at them in that moment, they were having so much fun and they were really like, they were just like, this is a game and we're playing it and we're having fun. And at that moment, I realized that's why we're here. We're here because, because they are having so much fun because we weren't the most talented team that we were playing. They were playing, you know, Baldwin Wallace and Cortland and, and Southern Maine. And the, I mean, these teams are, are unbelievable teams. And, you know, we just, I think we outfund them. We had more fun than they did. And I really believe that when kids have fun, you get their best. And I think that that showed as, as we, as we played and, and we've tried to completely implement that. And we want every, every part of their, their day to be thinking about the fun they're going to have at baseball practice, not dreading going down there and, and getting screamed at or getting yelled at. And, and we don't want that. We want the kids to go out and have a good time and, and really enjoy this experience. I get it. Perfect. Last question. Well, second to last question. If we came to your practice, what would be three things you think would stand out or things that we would notice? Definitely energy, efficiency, and encouragement. We're, like I said, we try to be, we like to have fun. Uh, we try to have the most positive environment we can so that, you know, these guys are really feeling supported and feel like, you know, they can conquer the world. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that energy, efficiency, and encouragement. Definitely, definitely. And, and I like that. I think that, that that's, you know, energy is, is so vital to engagement. And, I, you know, it's something that there are days that being a new dad, especially last year during the season, that I felt like I let my team down energy-wise. But, man, they, do you feel like they feed off of you a ton? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I get my my excitement out with, with umpires, not not with my team. So they they really dig when I go after umpires at times, and they thrive, I think, on, on my energy and our assistant coach's energy. And, and like I said, we try to really push the fun and the, you know, the excitement of, of playing a game and getting the opportunity to go out there and do it. And, and our guys usually don't disappoint. Love it. Well, another question that I think every coach asks other coaches, and it's, it's not something that, that is, is easily attained, but you know, what are, what are a few of your, you know, a couple of your favorite resources? I think if somebody asked me, I would give them a list of about 50 books, but uh, what are some of your favorite resources? They don't necessarily have to be books. could be websites, could be people. But what are some some things that have changed your coaching career, or something that our coaches can go find and help them uh, better themselves? You know, I'm not I'm not going to give you anything that hasn't been said before. Obviously, like the ABC stuff is is fantastic, and Twitter has just become so great for sharing information. The thing I like to do the most is just talk to guys on the road. I'm fortunate to, you know, a lot of the events that we attend are you know there's Ivy League coaches there and 
Patriot League coaches there and guys that, that I really respect. And so, you know, my advice is just if you like some, if you like a team and if you like something they do, seek that coach out because we're all willing to share. When I was first at Eastern, I had the opportunity to work uh, Maryland camp and when uh, Eric Backage was there, and I was just amazed at the level of energy and enthusiasm he had and. And so I stole a ton of his stuff and, and used it with our team. And, and so, you know, I, I do think that the best resources are the guys that are sitting next to you at events. And, um, and, and you know, just this summer, I, I have a whole list of things that I've learned from, mm-hmm. from the guys that I've talked to. And, you know, from a, from a book perspective, this is not a coaching book that, you know, you're going to learn much from. But, you know, I read the, I read the Josh Hamilton book, Beyond Belief, and I think, you know, whether it's from a faith perspective or just understanding, you know, how important the game can be and how redeeming the game can be. And that's kind of what I took from that book. And if anybody hasn't read that book, I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see kind of his journey and what he went through, but also how, how baseball can be a light for people and can really pull people to, to succeed and to, to give their, give their best and how important it is that we get the opportunity to, to be around that game and, and use it to, you know, to inspire people. Well, perfect. Well, Matt, I appreciate your time today and man, it's, it's been a, an awesome conversation and I, it's been one that, that I've been really intrigued about and I loved getting to know, you know, who you've got and, and type of players that you guys are recruiting and, and how you, what you're doing to make them better. But if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, I know that there's a couple of things that you mentioned that you, you wouldn't mind sharing. What would be a way online that they could get in touch with you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Coach Midkiff on Twitter, M-I-D-K-I-F-F. And um, if anybody wants to reach out, I'm happy to share any of my stuff and um, would, would enjoy doing so. All right. Well, I'm just going to open up the mic for you. You've got an open mic to tell our listeners anything that you want to. And so what are some, or is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners before you go? I would just The only thing I would say from a last piece of advice would be don't let the desire to win keep you from enjoying the daily interactions that you have in the game. Don't get to the end and look back and, and wish you would have had that conversation or hugged that guy and encouraged him because, you know, the job that, that we get to do, a lot of people would do for free. Some do it for free. And so I think we should be, you know, feel very blessed for the opportunity to impact young people and do it in a way that we love. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.